Price, and welcome to Concord Matters. We have a simple goal here in Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord as we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with God's holy word. I'm your host. Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today we address a common question that arises as we speak of Lutheran or Christian theology. If I am freely justified for Christ's sake, which we studied a few weeks ago on Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession, and forgiven by his blood through faith, what about good works? Do we need to do them? Is it necessary to do them? And why do we do them? Well, today we will we'll confess that according to Scripture. So open up your book of Concord, open up your Bible, and let's start confessing the scriptural truth of new obedience from the Augsburg Confession. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ this morning, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Jason Wagner of Hope Lutheran Church in High Ridge, Missouri. Pastor Wagner, welcome to Concord Matters. Oh, it's great to be here. Pastor, uh, this is our first time together here on Concord Matters. Uh, Tell us about yourself, your family, and the work of the saints at Hope Lutheran. Well, I've been serving as a parish pastor uh, for well, 19 years now, I guess, and over 12 of those have been here at Hope and High Ridge. Uh, we are uh, a congregation that, uh, as we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, we're, we're blessed in many ways uh, with uh, some wonderful leadership here in the congregation. Uh, we are blessed also to have an early childhood center uh, where we serve about 70 families in our local community and have an opportunity to not only care for those children, but also all the more uh, reach out to them and to their families uh, with the good news of Christ. Um, my family, uh, I have uh, my wife Julie and I have been married for uh, 23 years. Actually, today, July 15th, is our 23rd wedding anniversary. Hey, look at that. <laughs> Happy anniversary. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. And we have two daughters, uh, Abigail, who is 20, and Hannah, who is 16. Um, and I that's a pretty good rundown on me. Well, that that is uh, thanks be to God. And, and this is a reminder to our listeners is to pray for our, our churches that are doing um, different ways of serving the community, you know, as, as I know there's a lot of different ways of uh, food pantries or service agencies or life uh, ministries that go out in our churches, but also a lot of them have a, a, a preschool or early childhood center and so forth. And so we continue to pray for that as a witness and care for families because, as I know with four kids and Pastor, you know with, with your children as well, even though our kids are older now, when you're when your kids are little, they're kind of a mess, and so that just to have that comfort of knowing that people are here to be there to help you along that process is quite helpful. Do you you want to speak to that a little bit about the families and others you serve, and the joys that come from that early childhood center? 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it is a true blessing to be able to connect with families, um, uh, both within and from without the congregation. So we have a number of our families who bring their children to our preschool who are connected to the church. Uh, and then there are those who are joined to other congregations in the area, but uh, appreciate the opportunity to bring their children to a, a Christian preschool. And then there are those who have no church background whatsoever. And so you have this whole spectrum of those uh, whom you're serving, uh, those whom uh, on a regular basis uh, we welcome as part of our worshiping community and join us in the divine service. Uh, we have others uh, that we have had the opportunity that I've had baptisms on a regular basis uh, connected to uh, those families and some of the kids in the school. We've had families join our congregation that way. Um, and so you see both the opportunity through the school, you see both the opportunity to welcome people into uh, the family of faith in the church, uh, but you also have the opportunity to serve the local community. And so in that way, we create additional opportunities to connect uh, folks to the gospel. Well, like I said, there's, uh, you know, pray and pray for young families. I mean, we remember we were kind of a mess and, uh, and they are too, but the Lord gives us, gives us what we need in order to serve our beloved family and, and uh, for our families as well. So uh, the Lord's blessings to Hope Lutheran and all churches who serve in that way, which really connects us well today as we look at Article 6, New Obedience in the Augsburg Confession. And, and do a reminder to our listeners, we are studying from Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition of the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House, we're on page 33, Article 6, New Obedience. Now, I'll read the first note, the introduction that it has in the Book of Concord listed, and to be able to talk about what does it even mean. I mean, when's the last time I have told somebody else, I'm going to live now in new obedience? And you don't hear that a lot in Lutheran circles, but clearly it is part of who we are as the baptized. So let us hear the note of Article 6, New Obedience, on page 33. Lutherans are sometimes accused of denying that Christians should do good works. The article on new obedience follows on the heels of the articles on justification and the ministry, and clearly states that Lutherans do insist on good works. The faith given by the Holy Spirit is a living and active power in our lives, bearing the fruit of good works. We must do good works. God commands them. However, they do not save us. They are always the result of saving faith. This article refers to an early church father as proof that this teaching is anchored in the church's historic teaching and practice. See also the Apology 5. Now, Pastor, it's interesting that the highlight begins kind of saying that this was in good order, and we've spoken about this a few times on the program, but Article 6 is well-placed in reference to the rest of the Augsburg Confession. So, Pastor, where do you want to start? We look at new obedience in light of the Augsburg Confession. What is new obedience? How do you want to start us off? Well, I think the context is really helpful that uh, we move from Article 4, speaking about justification uh, and the new life that we are granted through faith in Christ's work for us alone, 
And, and how do we receive that faith? Well, Article 5 moves on to, so that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. And so here it moves towards, okay, well, what comes from that faith? So as opposed to the faith that uh, is created in us by the work of the Spirit, that uh, trusts in Christ and that simply receives his gifts, and those gifts are poured out to us in his church, now as his people, what does this faith do? How, what is it for? And, and so here you see that the faith is is first, yes, to receive the good works of Christ on our behalf, but then it leads us into a life of good works in following after him. Well, and it's, 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 very, it's very helpful because there's natural questions that come, and, and you said that very well. Uh, okay, how am I saved? Well, first of all, who is God, right? Um, who is this Jesus? Um, how does the goods that came, you know, the salvation, the vivic work, how does that affect me now, you know, this uh, by faith? And then how do, I how do I receive those gifts today, the ministry? And now obedience, that natural question is, is what, what, do, I, what do I do um, with good works? How does this work as far as how I serve my neighbor? Um, and now in those days, guarantee they were being accused of saying, well, you don't, you don't, agree with good works. Now, pastor today, I'm not so sure if that's true. I've never had someone come, come to me and tell me that, well, Lutherans don't believe in good works. But I suppose it could be an accusation because we do talk about justification so much. Pastor, as we as we look at this, um, what are some of the concerns that you have today as we address something like new obedience for the normal Christian in the pew? Well, I think the concerns are largely the same concerns that we'll get into when we read the article, that uh, there's kind of two opposite directions, and we'll be talking around these two things, uh, I think, all throughout our discussion, is that there's really two errors that we want to avoid that we are prone to fall into one or the other. And one is a sense of lawlessness, which was the concern in particular at the time that this was written, that the accusation against Lutherans was that they have nothing to do with the law, and so they're promoting you know, the technical term is antinomianism, but to be lawless, uh, to just, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, do whatever you want. Now, I again, I can't say that I've ever preached anything close to that, um, but, <laughs> but I, I think, nevertheless, to our sinful nature that still remains with us, that at times we can abuse the gospel and have that completely obliterate the law. And so there's no meaning for the law whatsoever. I should just do whatever I want. It doesn't matter anyway. And so that temptation towards lawlessness, I think, is certainly there, whether or not the accusation is always made. But on the flip side, the other concern that the Reformers certainly have in bringing this article is the opposite problem of falling into legalism and self-righteousness and mm in some manner, inserting that into our justification. And so they're very concerned about both of these uh, extremes that we are always prone to in one way or another. And that is so true because how often will I do a good work and then I start to get puffed up in my own, look what I just did. <laughs> or I'm making a lot of mistakes 
um, and then say, well, I'm saved by grace anyways. It doesn't matter. And so you are always on this. uh, You could fall on, on those sides very easily, which is why justification by faith is so important and why Article 6 is so important. So, Pastor, let's let's get into this. I'm going to speak, I'm going to read just a portion of this at a time because it is so rich. This is a very rich art. Well, they all are, but this is very rich in a very short amount of time. So I want to make sure that we really dig in appropriately as we read it. So now we dig into the Augsburg Confession, Article 6 on page 33. Our churches teach that this faith is bound to bring forth good fruit. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. It is necessary to do good works, commanded by God, Ephesians 2, verse 10, because of God's will. Now, I'm going to stop there, Pastor, because there's some great scripture passages here that we want to make sure we highlight. And also, there's a lot we could unpack. So what, what, those first uh, two sentences um, tell us about good fruit and, and faith and Ephesians and Galatians. Um, what are we supposed to do as Christians? I think what's interesting is right away what you get here is you have both a command and yet also uh, a recognition of the new man. So in the first sentence, Mm. you have Mm -hmm. that our churches teach this, that this faith is bound to bring forth good fruit, that there's not an explicit command yet. It's just a statement that you know, good works, this new obedience is part of just what is naturally going to come from the one who has been made new in Christ. And so the language that's used there is the language of good fruit. And we could go to a number of different places. Uh, the The quote here, or the, the reference rather, is from Galatians chapter 5, uh, which uh, includes the familiar words, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But we could read on to the end of the chapter here where Paul goes on to say, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That idea of walking, we'll we'll come back to in the other passage that's referenced here also. But in in talking about the fruit, uh, when Paul says that last statement, which I realize is, you know, a couple verses beyond this Galatians 5 reference. But when he says, if we live by the Spirit, he's not saying that as a maybe. He's saying that as, of course we do. Of course we live by the Spirit. And since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And this is the fruit that just naturally is going to come from being one who lives by the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, the fruit of love and joy and peace and so on is just bound to come forth. And very much so, that language also is borrowing from Jesus in Matthew. Uh, I think it's Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew 12, Jesus is using uh, this language of talking about a good tree or a bad tree, having good fruit or bad fruit. The reality is, in the way Jesus speaks, is you're going to bring about some kind of fruit. Now, and Paul essentially talks the same way. If you back up a few verses earlier in Galatians 5, he's talking about uh, all of the rotten fruit 
of the sinful nature. And he gives a whole laundry list of that before he gives this list of the fruit of the Spirit instead. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he says, you know, the, the good person, this is Matthew chapter 12, verse 35, the good mm -hmm. person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. That this is just what is naturally going to flow out of one who has been made new in Christ, who has been justified by him. And so in this sense, the new obedience then is just the natural movement of us being made new in Christ. It reminds me of when I was a kid, and this is why it's important for us to be able to define our terms. And this is what's so, what's so great about this is it is a natural outflow of the Spirit, living by the Spirit. But I remember as a kid going to a basketball game, and, and my, our side of the, the, the crowd would start saying, we have the Spirit, yes we do, we have the Spirit, how about you? When we point to the other side of the basketball court. Um, and so when we talk about living by the Spirit, what, what does that mean? That how, how do I get the Spirit, or what is the Spirit? How would you t give, give a simple analysis? We've talked about it clearly here on, on Concord Matters, but just to make sure, living by the Spirit, what does that even mean? Well, to live by the Spirit, in its essence, is to be given new life by God's Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so, and how does he do that? Well, he does that. Again, this is where the context here just ties so neatly one into the next. How, how does this Spirit work in us? Well, that's where the previous article was talking about, that we may obtain this faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administrating uh, the sacraments was instituted. This is where the Holy Spirit is given, the Reformers speak of in the previous article. And so here, the Spirit has been given. This is what's coming to—the Spirit comes and works in us as he delivers to us the forgiveness, life, and salvation of Christ in his Word and in the Lord's Supper. And as he continues to do this, then, he is encouraging us in continuing then to produce the fruit of faith that he is working in us— already. And so it brings up many, many different thoughts, but it's very clear in this very, um, it's very clear to understand that, okay, as the baptized, and that's another, as we speak about receiving mm -hmm. the spirit, that, that we naturally good works are happening. And often, you know, the left hand does not know what the right hand is doing, that, that these good works are happening uh, in our daily lives because God is leading us to do them. Sometimes we don't recognize them. Other people don't recognize them. And probably the greatest people who are doing good works are those um, that no one knows about. You know, I think you've seen this in ministry. I, I know I have, is that you have some people who do so much and no one has any idea that they're doing it. And, and that's just another testament to how God does work in people's lives. The problem is when we start looking at ourselves and saying, well, you know, uh, this is a good work. That's not a good work, and get really muddled really quickly. So, Pastor, other 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 thoughts you have on that dynamic that God is always leading us to do good works. What are your thoughts? I, well, I I think the first way that uh, to speak about that is, what do we mean by by good works? Uh, and to speak about a good work is something that God has called us to do, and in particular, something that is done in faith. Uh, we could talk in a general sense about a good work being anything that helps out somebody else, 
And so in a general way, you might say, sure, these are, I think elsewhere, it might be in the Apology where they speak about, quote, civil good works. Mm -hmm. uh, these are things that anybody could do. Um, and so it wouldn't matter whether your neighbor happens to be uh, a Christian or not. They might uh, notice that your yard uh, hasn't been cut in a while because you've been in the hospital and they come over and cut your yard. Mm. Now, that's a, that's a kind thing to do. It's a good thing to do in a generic sense, but that's not what this is speaking of. Uh, here, if we're talking about good works, we're talking about those things that God recognizes as good. And it is impo it's impossible to do anything that is good apart from faith in Christ from that perspective. From this perspective of talking about good works, it is those things that flow out of the life of faith that is ours in Christ. So, yeah, you can talk in a general sense about good works can be anything that is beneficial to another. Uh, but here, when we're talking about it, especially in Article 6, uh, we're talking about those works that are done in faith, which also makes another distinction, kind of along the lines of what you're talking about, is that we can have a tendency to say, well, good works must be things uh, that, you know, I'm really doing something noticeable. Uh, kind of a different way of thinking about good, that you know, this is really going to draw attention to me, uh, and it's people are going to notice how holy I am. And you're absolutely right that, no, 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 that's, that's beginning, at least in small part, to fall back into those problems we talked about at the beginning that we want to avoid, because it leads you into a certain self of self, sense of self-righteousness. That, you know, look, notice me, check out all the great things that I'm doing. And I think what's interesting is that when it talks about it in the passage from Galatians, when it's when Paul is speaking about these fruits of the Spirit or fruit of the Spirit, all these things that naturally are just growing out of the Spirit's work in our hearts, many of them are dispositional. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those are occasioned by the vocations in which God calls us to. Where he has placed us to be, I'm going to live in love towards my neighbor. I'm going to be patient with those around me. Now, that's going to look different because who you happen to be called uh, to be in vocation with is going to be a lot different one from another. It's a lot different than I've done this really impressive thing that everyone on earth should notice how fantastic this great religious work is that I've done. That's not at all what the intention is here. It's that the entire life becomes the life lived in the Spirit. The entire life, because our entire life is bound up in Christ and in the new life that he gives to us. And so as we go about our daily lives, yeah, that won't always look impressive. It might not be newsworthy all the time, uh, but that has very little to do with whether or not it is the good work that God intends for us. And so it speaks this language too, with about two minutes left before our break. It is necessary to do good works commanded by God. That's because it's God's will. Um, using the famous passage that was referenced uh, clearly in other parts of, of the confessions and that we reference quite often in Scripture, um, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. But then it gets to verse 10, and it says, it is necessary to do good works. 
Um, and that language seems very intentional, but it, it can kind of hit the heart a little bit. Like, well, wait a second. Are you saying that this is required? How would you break that down um, with about two minutes and we can speak beyond our break as well? Hmm. Well, it, how is how do we speak about it being something that is necessary? Now, when you say that that begins to push in on our conscience a little bit, okay, the law always accuses. And this certainly is a statement of law that it is necessary to do good works. Uh, and so I guess the first part of that is saying, yes, it should lead us to reflect on, am I actually carrying out the good works that God has commanded me to do? Am I taking seriously what God's word actually speaks to me? And, and without a doubt, that's part of what's going on here. And there is more than that, because I think what the Ephesians 2.10 passage does so well in speaking that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You have both senses in which we're kind of talking here, that on the one hand, and really these are in, in another manner, this is really talking in both uh, that the law is going to act on us. Usually we talk about that as the second use of the law, that it's going to reveal to us our sin. It's going to show us where we fall short. It's going to drive us then back to Christ and the justification and life that we have only in him, not in our works. But then having heard again the good news that I am redeemed in Christ, set free from my sin, I am also set free for these good works that he has prepared for me to walk in. And and maybe, I, I want to dig into that a little bit more, but maybe we should do that after the break. Sounds good to me. Let's take our break now. We are studying the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Jason Wagner, and we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at kfuo.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying the scriptural truth of new obedience as confessed from the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Jason Wagner of Hope Lutheran Church in High Ridge, Missouri. Now, Pastor, we touched on this before our break. It speaks about the necessity of good works uh, as Christian people. Ephesians 2 9, we are God's workmanship because of God's will. Now, we haven't gotten to the point of speaking of in relation to salvation to this point, but it does hit us to the heart a little bit because I can even think of instances today where I have not loved my family as I should have. I have not um, been patient as I should have. Um, and so it feels like sometimes this is really hits us to the heart. And is this a good thing? It is a good thing. It, it doesn't feel that great, uh, <laughs> but, but it is a good thing. It's a good thing to be presented with our sin and recognize it for what it is because because apart from doing that, apart from recognizing our sin, we would remain in it. 
marinate on it. Uh, just uh, and either try and excuse it away as well. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Everybody, you know, everybody loses their patience sometimes. Right. Not everybody can be loving all the time. That's true, but that doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that it's good, especially here using uh, the language that we're talking about. When we're talking about good works, I think a lot of times we can use the word good and think, well, that's just, you know, it's better than average, or at mm. least it's not bad or something like this. No, if we're talking about good in relationship to God, we're talking about the essence of purity and holiness and things just as they are intended to be, uh, the fullness of all that it was created to be. That's what is good. So if we're talking in that sense, yeah, then it in an ironic way, it is good for us then to be brought face to face with our sinfulness because it is only there that we can receive the true goodness, life, and salvation in the forgiveness of sins delivered to us in Christ. For this particular sin that is getting in the way of my relationship, uh, as you were saying, could be with my family, could be with my neighbors, could be with the people in my church, and certainly it would get in the way of my relationship to the good and gracious God who wants to give to me his gifts, and yet my sin always tries to get in the way of that. And so, yes, it is necessary to do good works as commanded by God because of God's will, and that should shine the light on our sinfulness. But that's where, you know, the next pet, the next piece there of the article goes on, we should not rely on these works to merit justification before God. No, uh, whether it is falling short, that should drive us to Christ. And yet having been received this new life in Christ, that's what leads us into good works. It's we are doing good works because of what Christ has done, not we are doing good works so that Christ might notice us and appreciate all that we're doing for him. And this is a good reminder for us to read the rest of the story as we go, because we hung on before we got to that, and you led us right into it. So let's do this. Uh, as, as you said, those uh, um, great proclamations of what does this all fit together with salvation, let's read the rest of the New Obedience, Article 6 on page 33. We should not rely on those works to merit justification before God. The forgiveness of sins and justification is received through faith, the voice of Christ testifies, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Luke 17, verse 10. The fathers teach the same thing. Ambrose says, It is ordained of God that he who believes in Christ is saved, freely receiving forgiveness of sins without works through faith alone. So clearly, why... Why do we do good works, uh, Pastor, in light of what we just read? Well, we do good works, yes, because we are commanded by God to do so. And yet, we should also connect that very directly to why does God command good works? Well, because this is who he has made us to be. This is what he intended for us in creation. It's what he has recreated us to be as his people in Christ. And so we do good works simply to live as his. Uh, what I was thinking about is you have this reference to Ephesians 2.10 here. And 
you had pointed us back to, you know, two, verses 2, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 and 9 are so very familiar. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. I think what's interesting is the chapter begins with the contrast. The, contra- the contrast starts in Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Mm. And now by the end of the chapter, you have, no, we are his workmanship. Because in the middle of this, verse 4, it's God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so then you come to the end. We are now his workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus. And I think here, that creation language, Paul elsewhere in his writings talks about us being a new creation. And that's really what he's getting at here. We are created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that instead of the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, now we walk in the good works that have been prepared for us in God. Because this is what we've been created for in Christ. We've been set free now to live as he intended us to live as his people, because he has made us alive. And I always think about this as, so what does it mean to do good works? You know, if if we take seriously the middle part of this, that we have been raised with Christ, that by, by our justification in Jesus, we have been raised to new life. His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection by our baptism into Christ. And so now that we are alive, we live. We don't have to... You don't have to tell people, and this is really what it gets back to when it talked about we are bound to bring forth good fruit. Mm. I'm going to guess, because you've been talking to me this whole time, I'm guessing that you haven't had to remind yourself to keep breathing. (laughs) (laughs) No, this is just what you do. And obviously, that breathing is a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing to do. So, and it's that kind of image that if we've been made alive, we've been made alive to go and live. Now, that living is the good works that we are called to do. Now, at times, we keep latching on to these things that, yes, would lead us into death. We keep walking back into things that actually would be the equivalent of us cutting off our air supply. We do this incessantly. Absolutely. And so we need to hear once more the forgiveness of Christ. We need to, uh, this is the whole idea that Luther has of returning daily to our baptism, that the old man may be drowned again and again. Yeah, that's absolutely necessary. But that has nothing to do with being made alive. And and that's that's where they keep coming back to here through the rest of Uh, this article, they keep coming back to this idea because there's a real pastoral concern that is behind all of this. Yes, the immediate history of the Augsburg Confession is that this is a confession of faith, and they're saying uh, in front of the prince that, hey, and in front of the emperor, for that matter, that this is what the church has always taught because this is what the scriptures teach. And we're just going to lay this out on these specific essential topics. But behind all of that, too, 
And behind it, the entire Reformation really is a pastoral concern. We're concerned about the spiritual well-being of God's people. And the spiritual well-being of God's people are, are really centered in, yeah, if we think that our works in some way merit something, are going to achieve something for us, well, then we are stealing glory from Christ. We are taking away from him what rightly belongs to him alone. But not just that. In stealing glory from Christ and taking away the free forgiveness that he has won for us, all of a sudden, we have put ourselves under the terror of having to make justification for ourselves. That in some way, I've got to do enough good works. I've got to fill up, uh, whether it is I'm going to save myself or I'm going to complete my salvation because, well, Jesus got me started and now I've got to do the rest. No, it is completely as a gift. And, and there, it really gets to this idea of how that becomes just so antithetical, so against what the scriptures say, is that we had to be made alive together with Christ. No one who has, whose heart has stopped and who is no longer breathing, who is dead, is able to grab their neighbor and say, hey, I, I'm, I need to help you out now. And once I help you out enough, I'll be alive again. Right. No, if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, then we have to be made alive by Christ. It is entirely by his doing. And that is exactly what the scriptures say. And that's what we confess here. But now being made alive, we live. As we look at everything that we've spoken of, it's, it always brings us back to Christ. There's, there's a reference in the Apology, um, which has been really a fun, and you've referenced this as well, in the Apology when it talks about love and fulfilling the law, is that when we speak about works, we do it um, as Christ has made us alive, even to the point where it says um, we must come back to the rule that without Christ, the law is of no profit. The, the good works are of no profit. Prophet is the kind of language that they have throughout Article 5, Love and Fulfilling the Law and the Apology, which we'll get to in the future for all of our listeners. But it speaks very clearly that not only do we do it out of gratitude, but also we need Christ even to be able to do it. And so when you speak about all this, whenever there is a good work, it always is bringing us back to Christ. As, as it says here in, in you know referencing Luke chapter 17, um, it says, the voice of Christ testifies that basically even when a good work is accomplished somehow, you know, uh, somehow we stumble, sometimes stumble upon it, is it's always thanks be to God because we are nothing but unworthy servants. So sometimes this gets a little bit um, frustrating for me because, well, I want the credit. <laughs> so, so, Pastor, how do we, how do we address our, our beloved, you know, as we look at our good works when we're seeing that it is Christ who makes us alive, it is Christ who works through us, it is Christ who's forgiving us, all of this, and and uh, well, I don't. How do we put all that together as Christian people? I think the way that we put them together ultimately is where where God would desire for us to place our eyes. And so, what I mean by that is that our eyes should be focused first on Christ. 
I'm thinking of, we have that kind of language in Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews chapter 12, mm-hmm. um, where he is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus. But then in addition to that, it, with our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, we then look around us and fix our eyes on our neighbor and what our neighbor's needs are. The danger is that, and so our good works are carried out, yes, to the glory of God, uh, but they are carried out in particular towards our neighbor, to those who are around us in the needs that they have in the place where God has called us to be. The danger always is, is that in some manner, I put my eyes on myself. Mm. Because if my eyes are focused on myself, I'm either going to be looking at, look at how fantastic this thing is that I have just done. Everyone should notice this. I want the credit for this. Or in placing our eyes on ourselves for any amount of time, it will also very quickly lead us to recognize how woefully inadequate I am. I I am, you know what? I, I would like credit for this. But meanwhile, I failed over here. I may have helped this neighbor, but this one whom I should have helped, uh, I failed miserably. And so this is where an incessant focus on ourselves is always going to lead us either into self-righteousness. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that sinner who's really bad over there. Or it's going to lead us into just despair that... Lord, I can look around me and everyone else is better than I am. Lord, I look around me and I I look at me and I am just so miserable in terms of failing constantly. And this is where the law separated from the gospel becomes such a dangerous thing. That we talked about before, it is a good thing to recognize our own sinfulness and to to have God's word root that out in us and point it out and show us uh, the depth uh, of our sinfulness. But if that is disconnected from the gospel, that then says to us, what Christ gives to you is not on the basis of how good your works have been. It is on the basis of the goodness of Christ and his mercy that is for you, that is free and full and covers over all of your sin. Because he sees your sin much better than you do. You may see your sin because you're trying really hard to do the right thing, and it's just not happening. You may see your sinfulness because you haven't tried at all to do the right thing, and you recognize how bad it is. Christ sees all of that, but he sees so much more. He sees every bit of it, and he sees how all of it would be rebellion against God. And he nevertheless says, in my death and resurrection, it is all covered over by the new life that I give to you. And so, instead of focusing all of your attention on yourself, we are led then to focus our attention on Christ, giving him thanks and praise, as you said, the gratitude that naturally flows out Mm -hmm. of what Christ has accomplished for us. But then that also leads us then in gratitude to look to our neighbor who has any need whatsoever. And out of joy, 
out of the reality that we love because God has first loved us, as John says. We have been loved completely in Christ, and so that leads us into love then for those around us. And the beauty of this is we can't compare that to anything in this life. Like if you were to start talking about myself and say, well, my love for my children, or my parents, I should say this, my parents' love for me, you know, really outflowed into something that makes me realize that I need to go and serve as they have served me. And that's true, right? That's true, that that's true in, in this life with my family. But, but here's the deal, is that Christ's love is perfect, <laughs> that Christ's cross did it all. And there's this outpouring of grace upon me, grace upon grace, as John 1 speaks, and that outflowing then naturally comes by the Holy Spirit for me to serve others. And, and it, it's beyond comprehension because, as, as you've uh, kind of alluded to here, is we don't deserve any of it. And, 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 and God knows even our own thoughts. Even, though, even when we're doing a good work, we're kind of um, uh, complaining the way through it. Uh, that all of this happens, but yet he continually get, makes us alive in him. And that's why I, I'm just always more and more overwhelmed by how, how much, as I get older, my dad has said this too to me, is the older I get, the more I realize the depth of God's grace for me and then also how much I don't deserve it. But yet he still gives it. And, and from there, he also is helping me to serve my neighbor. All of this just brings us right back to Christ. Like you said, where are our eyes? So I, I'm, well, I'm a little bit overwhelmed right now because I realize the grace of God. As we're speaking about good works, I'm still overwhelmed by the grace of God. Pastor, we have about 15 minutes, no, about 10 minutes left in our time. Um, there's a lot we could cover. Uh, what do you want to go next as we hear from Luke chapter 17 and also have a reference to the early church fathers? Well, I think the Luke 17 passage is, is a good place to, to kind of dig in. Um, this is you know, Jesus. Is, this, these are the words of Jesus, and, and he's speaking in a larger, a little larger section. And so I'll, I'll share that. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once, recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly? Serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Now, all of those questions, the assumed answer basically is no. <laughs> right. He's going to act like a servant. That's what he's going to do. I mean, that's what a servant does. Uh, so all of that, that's kind of what's, what's behind all of those. And then it gets into the passage that uh, is quoted here in Article 6. So you also, when you have done all you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We're not drawing attention to ourselves. Uh, and this is probably as close as, I, I think it's interesting, the word obedience is, so new obedience is the title. And the word never shows up uh, in right. uh, this entire thing. <laughs> Right. Which I thought was interesting. The closest to that would be the word at the end here was our duty. This is this is our obligation. This is what we have been called to do. Um, and so, yeah, you have the same idea, too, when it talks about these are good works that are commanded by God. And, and so in that sense, if this is merely 
God has said, do this. Sure, we, you know, according to good manners, it's nice if you do something for me, I'll say thank you. Sure. Yeah. But I think we do kind of lose, and maybe that's just our, uh, what, egalitarian American concept of things also is that, you know, a servant who is serving the king would never think, now the king owes me because I did what he told me to do. Uh, no, no, that would never happen. Right, right. <laughs> the servant, the proper reply of a servant is simply that I am happy to have done this because you have called me. And especially when we recognize who our king is, then our attitude is not one of, well, God really owes me for this. He should really recognize what I've been up to. No, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. And it really does carry with it that idea of what you're talking about a moment ago, that in view of the overwhelming mercy of God and in view of my overwhelming sinfulness, anything that uh, I do in response to what God has done uh, is is not something to take note of any more than uh, the only way in which it's something to take note of is to say, and this is a language that gets used all over the place, is the language of saying, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. Uh, if If something, if there is anything that is good in me, it is only because of what Christ has done for me. That, that's really what is driven home across uh, all of these articles uh, that, that we're kind of touching on today, and in particular here, uh, that yes, we are commanded by God to do good works. Yes, they are bound to come from this new life that we've been granted by God. Uh, in the note that you read at the very beginning, um, the faith given by the Holy Spirit is a living and active power in our lives, bearing the fruit of good works. As the Spirit is doing, I, I can't even take credit for that, like this was my idea. <laughs> because had I done this on my own, I would be doing it for my own glory. And it is only good because when I am not concerned about my own glory, when it is for the good of my neighbor, when it is done out of love for Christ who has done all things for me. And so, yes, we are unworthy servants who have been served by the great servant who is worthy of all praise and majesty and yet has made himself nothing, and yet he has given us all things. Yes, we are unworthy servants, and yet we belong to him. We've been made his, and so anything that we do, it is simply doing our duty and we do so gladly and gratefully. One of the great comments I heard from a pastor who got a, a doctorate at a, a nun, Missouri Synod Univers or, uh, uh, Seminary, is that he was always kind of railed on by his Baptist friends. And his Baptist friends were like, yeah, you guys just talk about being saved by grace. That's all you do. And I think it was all in jesting, of course. And, and they spoke about, well, you know, us, us in this theology, we, we focus on going and doing and making, you know, disciples of all nations and all that, which is true. And we thank God for our, 
our brothers and sisters in other denominations because of, of that confession of faith and that commitment to the gospel and proclamation of it. And he said they did their Ph.D. work, and at the end of the Ph.D., he did a whole, t- a whole study on the work of Lutherans and mercy work around the world, like just all these different mercy organizations and immigration services and everything. And that was his Ph.D., and, and his Baptist friend basically did a Bible study, <laughs> was, was his. Now, not at all criticizing that, but just showing that God is at work in his people when his word is proclaimed, his sacraments are administered faithfully, that good works are happening in the world. And good works are occurring in your home and in churches around the world. And all of this is coming only because that is our duty, because that is what Christ has given us to do, and it's an outflow of everything that we do as well. So it's just a testament to we can get really wound up on trying to figure out, well, at least I'm doing more than him or not doing as much as them or whatever it might be. But once again, we fix our eyes on Christ. Now, Pastor, uh, we have about three minutes left in our time, and it ends this in a fascinating way. They were very clear in the Augsburg Confession, Melanchthon was, and the Reformers, to really bring it back and say, by the way, this wasn't made up. So it quotes Ambrose. I mean, this is from, what, the 4th century. And he mm-hmm. speaks about, is ordained of God that he who believes in Christ is saved, freely receiving forgiveness of sins without works through faith alone. What is Ambrose saying? And why is this so important for the confessors to include this in this article? Again, I think he's he's really just driving home and, and why they use the quote from Ambrose is that he's dr- we're to be brought back to this idea and foundation that, yes, good works will f- flow out of the Christian life, but he who believes in Christ is saved, freely receiving forgiveness of sins without works. It's very much a paraphrase of the words that we read uh, from Ephesians chapter 2 that the foundation of our faith is not our works, it's the work of Christ. And yet, yes, now we build on that foundation. And we continue on that foundation, but it, it, it never changes. It doesn't get replaced. It doesn't get improved upon. It is, all, our lives are always grounded upon Christ and what he has accomplished for us. And that leads us then to a life of faith and a life lived in these fruit fruits of the Spirit. Uh, but that is always on the foundation of what Christ has accomplished and his good works, not ours. Pastor, a minute left. How would you encourage our listeners in Christ as we look at the new obedience as we live out our Christian faith? I think the easiest way that I would think about encouraging us. These are the words of Hebrews 13. It it comes right at the end of the book, and and I think it it speaks to us uh, what our prayer is uh, for us as God's people. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, In other words, our salvation is completely based on the good shepherd who has laid down his life for his sheep. May this God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us. There we have that work of the Spirit working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.
Pastor Jason Wagner of Hope Lutheran Church in High Ridge, Missouri, confessing the truth of the scriptures concerning the new obedience from the Augsburg Confession. Pastor Wagner, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.